If that won't get you ready to worship, I don't know what will. Uh, so I hope you're ready to open your Bibles to Galatians 3. And while you do that, our kids can be dismissed back to Transformation Station to be with our children's team there. And uh, as I mentioned, we'll be in Galatians 3 this morning, starting in verse 10. So if you're using one of the black Bibles we've provided for you there, uh, it's page 973. And uh, as we like to say, if you do not own a Bible uh, or you'd like maybe a more uh, just updated, fresh copy, uh, then please grab that. And it's our gift to you uh, as a church from Redemption Hill. Well, a um, few of you know, uh, most of our staff this week traveled down to North Carolina to be a part of a church planting conference uh, with the North American Church Planting Foundation, uh, just to uh, get together with other church planters and receive some encouragement and uh, catch up and, and uh, receive some instruction and also pass along some lessons that we've learned along the way. So we had a great uh, experience there, a great time just of refreshment and encouragement. Uh, so uh, so it was, it was a, an outstanding week for us. Uh, even met a man named Mulberry. Um, that's probably his English name. He came from China, right? So uh, but that was pretty, it was kind of a highlight too. It was cool to, to meet a man named Mulberry and he's a brother in the Lord and um, is, uh, is, 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 is a part of our sending church now. Uh, and then our ladies had a great uh, women's retreat this weekend. So about 20 uh, ladies from Redemption Hill went on a women's retreat this weekend. And uh, all the reports I heard uh, were just that it was a phenomenal and outstanding time uh, together. And then uh, just in case you missed it uh, last night, we, uh, we had some, some good news here in Boston. Um, our beloved Red Sox took care of business last night. All right. So just let, me, uh, let me throw this on for a minute. All right. I was excited that you all got excited about worship, right? Because I knew we were going to get a little "What's up for the socks?" All right. Let's not let's not be more excited about the socks than Jesus. Okay. All right. We'll check our hearts and our idols. You know, this morning we're going to talk about idolatry a little bit, uh, but but nevertheless, man, what an epic series! Starting with Poppy's bomb, you know, in Game Two, the uh, the epic picture of the cop like this with Tory Hunter's legs going up over the fence. All right, AP, you can calm down now, man. Just calm down. I know, he's reliving each moment as I say it, you know. And then what about Victorino's blast last night, all right? It was a dramatic series putting our beloved Red Sox in the World Series once again. Um, but if you know the story of Boston, you know the story of the Red Sox, we have had a lot to cheer about over the past decade, but this has not always been so. It was 86 years from 1980. 18, all the way to 2004, the Red Sox had not won the World Series, and there was a superstition that ran through Red Sox Nation that said the Sox were under the curse of the Bambino. Now, most of you, if you're sports fans, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you're not a sports fan, let me catch you up to speed here. So um, I can't remember the year. It was around 18, I mean, 1916, 17, something around in there. Uh, the, the Red Sox traded away, maybe it was 18. Somebody help me out. What was the history? Probably right after they won the World Series. They traded away a player whose nickname was the Great Bambino because of his nickname, Babe Ruth. The Red Sox traded Babe Ruth to the New York Yankees. The Yankees went on to win just a few World Series championships. 
and our socks spent 86 years in waiting until finally the curse was reversed in 2004. So I, I went back and did a little research on this. There was even a sign on Storo Drive that runs along the Charles River. There was a sign on, Charles, uh, on Storo Drive that, um, that, that said curve reverse, okay? This was just to kind of give a heads up. The curve was going the other way. And so uh, fans in Boston graffitied that reverse the curse, okay? So this was just part of our culture here in Boston until finally in 04, we were able to go back to that sign and say the curse has been reversed. So a championship in 04, a championship in 07. And I am not going to get prophetic here this morning. I just feel really, really good about this team. All right, we played the game the right way. And I feel good that 2013 is going to be another year do I look like, you know what people say, I know I don't look like John Farrell up here, all right? I hope, I hope you guys don't think that, but uh, Pedroia, anyone feel that? Sometimes, when I visited, when I visited Boston, Marcia's shaking her head, she must not think is cute. Um, when, I, when I visited Boston, people told me I looked like Pedroia, I was like, hold up, man, let me sign that autograph there, I mean, it's like, that, was, that made me feel good, right? Um, so, 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 so the Sox, back in the series, the, the, the curse was reversed, and hopefully we're just going to kind of solidify that with another championship this year. Now, it's, it's fun to talk about as Boston sports fans, as those who live in Boston, to talk about the Red Sox and, and the, the, the quote-unquote curse of the, the Bambino. But in reality, we know that there was never a curse on the Red Sox, right? It was a superstition. We don't believe in those around here. And, and so... Uh, we, th- we think about curses, and, and we hear about th- this curse of the Bambino. We think about Halloween coming and, and witches with their books of curses. Um, but, but, but there is a curse the Bible speaks of, and it is a weighty curse. God's word tells us that everyone apart from the grace of God is under a curse, the curse of our sin, the wages of of our sin. And so this morning I want to talk to you about with a very glad and joyful heart because what Christ has done, that the curse has been cursed through the cross of Christ. This is what we're going to see in Galatians 3 verses 10 through 14 this morning. I want to talk about the curse of the curse through the cross of Christ. We saw last week in, in verses 1 through 9, John did a great job teaching us that just as we receive the Spirit by faith, we should continue to live by the Spirit also through faith. And those who exercise faith are brought in to experience the blessing of Abraham that will go to all nations. Now, Paul is going to continue his line of argumentation, except he's going to kind of flip the focus and and start by not focusing so much on the blessing, but on the curse that all people are under apart from the grace of God. So let's read these verses together as we dive in to God's word. This is what Paul writes. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, it is evident that no one is justified by the law 
before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. I want to give you two truths, two encouragements this morning that will frame this paragraph of Scripture and help us to get the gist of what Paul is writing here to the Galatians. The first encouragement is this. Realize you are under a curse for not keeping the law. You are under a curse. Apart from God's grace, you are under a curse for not keeping the law. Look back in verse 10. He says, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Now, it's really important that we are very clear on this weighty, very heavy truth in verse 10. What does Paul mean when he's saying rely on works of the law? He's talking about a dependence upon our good deeds. We could say that some people are trying to earn their way to God's approval. They're trying to perform their way to God so that one day when they stand before God and they answer for their life and God says, hey, Why would you be welcomed in to my presence? The answer that many people, in fact, probably most people will give is, God, I was a good person. I was good enough. I did a lot of good deeds. And so they're going going to argue based on their, their deeds, their works. But then what does it mean to be cursed? As we said, it's it's almost Halloween, and when we think about curses, we think about witches and them pulling out their books of curses, but this is something so much more weighty than that. The curse here refers to being under the weight of a severe consequence. The curse of the law involved being resigned to the judgment and wrath of God. So this is why now we, it helps us understand what Paul said in Galatians 1.8. He says, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. That means if they're going to continue preaching a false gospel and not believing in the true gospel, then they are headed for eternal destruction and condemnation. This is what it means to be under a true curse, God's curse, his judgment for our sin. And so let me give you three reasons why you will be cursed if today you are relying on works of the law, your own good deeds to merit your salvation before God one day. Number one, this is, this is the first reason why you shouldn't rely on your good deeds. You must keep the law perfectly. At the end of verse 10, Paul quotes Deuteronomy 27. And in Deuteronomy 27, verses, I believe, 25 through 36, or maybe it's 15 through 26, 15 through 26, um, Paul lays out 12 different curses. I'm sorry, Moses. Moses, that would be Moses in the Old Testament. Okay, so Moses is laying out these curses that deal with the sin of the people. 
And so there are, there are particular sins that are addressed, like idolatry, Red Sox fans, like dishonoring your parents, like perverting justice, like sexual sin. And at the end of those 12 curses, at the very end, the last curse is what Paul quotes here, where he says, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So Paul summarizes it in comprehensive fashion. He says, if you do not abide, remain, keep, fulfill everything that is written in the book of the law, you will be under this curse. You will receive judgment and condemnation one day from God. So the law, as we have been trying to explain, the law really reveals our inadequacy and how much we need the grace of God to be at work in our lives. If you have young children, perhaps your children are like my children, Parker 4, Kessid 2. They love to get out coloring books and their, and their box of crayons and markers, and they love to, you know, do their Da Vincian work on our living room floor, right? And so, so the beautiful thing about a coloring book is it comes with an outline of where children should color, Right? So you wouldn't be surprised that my four-year-old, although she is pretty good, all right, maybe she'll be an artist one day. I mean, she's pretty good at staying in the lines, but sometimes she gets outside the lines a little bit. And then our two-year-old, you know, she just, she doesn't even see the lines, you know what I'm saying? She's just kind of going all over the place. She's drawing her own pictures and own outlines and trying to get, you know, a little something over here. And so she is constantly outside of the lines. And this is what, how we are with the law, the boundaries that God sets to, to, to reveal his character and his intention for our lives. We are like two-year-olds that are often getting outside of the lines of God's intention for us. And so Paul here expresses the universality of sin that all people are under this curse if they do not keep God's law. So failure to keep the law perfectly places us under a curse. This is why we should not rely on our good deeds to get us into heaven. But then number two, the law itself teaches that men are justified by faith. Look in verse 11. Uh, he, he goes on to say, now it is now it is evident that no one is justified by God before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. Paul here again is quoting the Old Testament and he quotes Habakkuk 2.4. He says, the right, which says the righteous shall live by faith. Now it's important to understand the context of what's going on here. Uh, the, the people in, in Israel during that time were uh, rampant in their idolatries, and they're stepping outside the boundaries of the law. And so God was raising up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, to come in and execute destruction on the land of Israel. It was part of his discipline to bring them back to himself. And so Habakkuk is hearing all of this vision of coming judgment on his people. And God has this, this encouragement for Habakkuk. He says, look, the righteous shall live by faith. 
It's always been of faith. It's all about looking to me, trusting in me, allowing faith to overcome your fears. And so we've seen from the Old Testament that that faith is is what it is from the beginning. Just with Abraham, as early as, as Genesis 12 and on through the whole of the Old Testament, this phrase, the righteous shall live by faith, it encapsulates, it summarizes how God's people should relate to him. And then number three, we can, we can see from our whole study through Galatians, and even in these few short verses, justification by the law and faith are mutually exclusive. Look in verse 12, he says, but the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Now, Paul is quoting Leviticus 18. I mean, we can imagine when Paul went into the synagogues in the book of Acts, we see it in every city. When he goes into a city, he is going into the synagogues, he's preaching to the Jews, and then then he's going out to the Gentiles. But this probably would have been uh, the, the verses that he would have gone to, ones like these that are explaining how it's always been not our works that approve us before God, but it's been our faith, our trust in his work and what he has done for us. And so quoting Leviticus 18, he says, the, the one who, who, um, who um, does them shall live by them. This word live here is, it's, 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 not, it's not something that's just simple, and, and, but it, 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 it refers to life that should come from God both now and into eternity, a quality kind of life that God gives. And so he's saying, if you want to have that eternal life, then you would have to live, you would have to live according to the law. You would have to keep the whole law. And we've already said that is an impossibility. So the law demands that we do something that we can never do in order to gain eternal life. I want you to grasp Okay, this is so important, not only for your own salvation that you understand these truths, but in communicating the gospel to others, it's so helpful and necessary to understand the distinction between the law and the gospel. Okay, so let me give you a few phrases to kind of help you get this, all right? Number one, the law says, do this, and it is never done. The gospel says, believe this, and everything is already done. This was the 26th thesis of Luther and the Heidelberg Disputation in 1518, where he's unpacking and defending the doctrine of justification. This is what he said there in that great debate. And so what does Luther say? He says, the law says, do this, but you're never going to be able to do this. You're never going to be able to, number one, keep the law perfectly because we commit sin in our lives that are contrary to God's will for us. Those are sins of commission. But then on top of that, there are not only commands that we should not do, but there are commands that we should fulfill. So God says, love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And just kind of to check my week this past week, I didn't fulfill that very well at all times. And so not only do I have sins of commission, but I have sins of omission, omitting the things that God desires for me to do. 
And so the law says do this, but it is never, ever, ever done. We can never keep the law. But the gospel says believe this, and everything is already done. Jesus Christ kept the law perfectly. His obedience was perfect to God. And so that is why we keep talking about the imputation of Christ's righteousness into our lives, the great exchange of our unrighteousness for his righteousness. He's done it all. It's his work that we trust in, and we just believe and receive that work. So here is a distinction between the law and the gospel. That is why we can say that number two, the law requires more than we can give, but the gospel gives more than we deserve. The law, the, the law requires more of us than we have the ability to fulfill, but in the gospel, the grace of God, God gives us that which we do not deserve in Christ. And we're going to unpack this more as we go this morning. So we can say the law commands what faith in Christ's work in the gospel obtains. It commands what we should do, and faith apprehends what Christ has done for us. And then number three, the law says, do this and live. But the gospel says, live and do this. Do you see the difference? Do you see the distinction? I mean, they are worlds apart This is the difference in a gospel-centered church and every other quote-unquote religion or church that is out there, whether you're talking about a Protestant church, a Catholic church, that, that isn't preaching the gospel. So the law is saying, do this, and this is where you will find life. Keep these commands. Be a good little Christian. And if you're good enough, then, then yeah, God will accept me one day. That's where life is found. But the gospel says, live, have life in Christ. And then out of that life that God gives you, keep his commands. You're not doing it to earn salvation. You're doing it because you have salvation. It's about the root that is inside. If if the root is good, the fruit will come out of your life. And so this is why we try to, again and again and again at Redemption Hill, talk about the difference between empty religion and the fullness of the biblical gospel. The law places us under a curse. And this should, this should bring us a sense of, of helplessness and hopelessness. I mean, to, to see that one day we will stand before God and we'll have to realize that, man, our life did not measure up. We weren't good enough. We didn't keep what, what God wanted us to keep and live the way that God wanted us to live. And so we are helpless to, to, to depend on works of the law for our salvation. And that should set into our hearts a sense of hopelessness. If this is you this morning and you're depending on your works, your deeds to be good enough in the sight of God, then I hope that you will feel hopeless this morning. There's a great song written by Shane Bernard that's called Embracing Accusation. 
And in it, he talks about how it's, it's kind of, it's a tricky song because you start to listen to the song. He's saying that the devil, the father of lies, is preaching the truth of God to him. And he says that what is the truth? It is, cursed are the ones who can't abide. That's right. See, Satan wants to accuse us. He wants to beat us down. He wants to, us to not to think that we're good enough. And that part is true. We can never be good enough. We can never abide. But then as the song goes on, he says, as Satan is, is, is singing this, this song, cursed are the ones who can't abide. He's forgotten the refrain that Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Jesus brings us out of the curse but, but here's the point. We have to embrace the bad news of the gospel in order to receive the good news of the gospel. So, so if you do not see your need for Christ, if you do not see that by works of the law, you will never be justified in the sight of God, then you will never see the beauty of the cross and, and what Christ has done for you through his atoning death. So realize, I pray that you will realize that you are under a curse if you are relying on works of the law to bring you salvation. But then what are we to do about this? Well, the remedy, again, has to come from outside of ourselves. And so my second encouragement for you is this. Flee to the cross where Jesus ended the curse by becoming a curse for you. Flee to the cross, where Jesus ended the curse by becoming a curse for you. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the greatest pastors in England of the last century, said, if you had one thing to say to someone on your dying bed, what would it be? And with a few simple words, he simply said this, flee to Christ and escape the wrath to come. Flee to Christ and escape the wrath to come. So this is what we see then in verses 13 and 14 of Galatians 3. Read those with me again. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Jesus accomplished our redemption through his death on the cross. Redemption is a word that we see through, running throughout the Bible. It, it really is a key kind of stage in the meta-narrative of Scripture, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And so the story of the Exodus is a story of redemption. God's people in slavery under oppression in Egypt, are led out of Egypt by Moses, and God redeems them out of their captivity and their bondage in Egypt, and he sets them into their rightful position and place as his people. So redemption is the process of God restoring the position that he desires for us to have. But how are we redeemed? Well, there has to be a payment, and that payment is called a ransom. There has to be a price by which slaves would be bought out, captives would be bought out, and regain their freedom. 
And so this is why Jesus in Mark 10, 45 says, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The payment is the ransom. The process is redemption. And so God accomplishes this redemption through a tree. Galatians 3.13 says that Jesus became a curse for us through his death on a cross. And he quotes again a familiar verse to those who have read the Old Testament where he says, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. You see, when someone was executed in Old Testament Israel, it was usually through stoning and then they were hung on a tree as a symbol of divine rejection. So everyone who had read the Old Testament understood that that a symbol of dying on a tree was a symbol of divine rejection. It was a, a, a sign of being cursed by God, judged by God. And so Paul is saying, look, Jesus became a curse for you by dying on the cross for your sin and for your curse. It's little wonder that both Jews and Greeks stumbled over the cross of Christ. They, 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 it, was, it, was too, it was too scandalous for them to believe that the Son of God could die on the, on the cross because the cross was a place of, of the curse, Right? So one historian says that when the apostles and early church leaders preached about the cross of Christ, Jews in the crowd would shout, Jesus is accursed. It was was too unbelievable for them to receive this kind of news. But you see, they did not understand the essence of the good news, the gospel. You see, it wasn't his curse that he bore. It was their curse, and it is our curse that Christ bore on the cross. So when the penny drops and they understood that, then that is when those scoffers and mockers became believers and followers of Jesus Christ. We have to understand this today, or the cross will never make sense to us. Christ became a curse for us to redeem us from the curse of the law. So it's in Christ that the curse has been lifted, the curse has been reversed. Through the cross of Christ, the curse that is ours has been cursed in his death. So we apprehend, we receive this gift. Verse 14 tells us, by faith. We trust in the work of Christ and receive this gift of salvation by faith. And then we apprehend all of the blessings that come along with this also by faith. Look again in 14. He says, so that in Christ, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit by faith. So, so, I want us to think a little bit about blessing here, okay? If you're, if you're in a church, maybe you're new to the church and, and you haven't been around a church culture much, but if you hang around a church culture, you're gonna hear this word blessing thrown out a lot. Oh, that was really a blessing to me. That song blessed me. You were a blessing to me today. 
bless you, brother, bless you, sister, all right? We just kind of toss this around us, and it's a good thing, all right? Blessing is, is, is a sign of favor from God, all right? When we're talking about a blessing, we're talking about a gracious gift from God's hand. We're talking about a, a gift that, that, gives, that gives life in a sense. It carries benevolent force, the blessing of God. And so when we talk about Jesus becoming a curse for us that we might receive a blessing from God, the the truths that are carried with that are really just um, as deep as you can possibly imagine. The gospel is not thin, right? The gospel is very thick. It's very deep. It's very robust. It's not one-dimensional. My ticket to heaven is punched, but it is multidimensional. It has implications that we will continue to study for all of our lives and then sing about and learn about for all of eternity. So I want to unpack a few of those for you. All right, his curse for our blessing. What do we see in Galatians 3? Number one, he received the curse of our condemnation so that we might receive the blessing of justification. He took our condemnation. What does it mean to be condemned? It means to be declared guilty and under the sentence of judgment. But rather than us receiving condemnation, Christ receives our condemnation on the cross so that in him now we might receive the blessing, the gift of justification, now being declared righteous in the sight of God, having the favor of God on our life because now we are counted righteous in him. Number two, Christ received the curse of our bondage so that we might receive the blessing of freedom. Jesus was our ransom on the cross so that we might be free. If you do not understand that the gospel is about freedom, you do not understand the gospel. A lot of people, they resist Christianity and they resist Christ because they think that Christianity is restrictive, that that God is out to kind of, uh, you know, put us into a straitjacket and not, you know, give a... Give us, give us the, the freedom that we so desire. But what we see in the gospel is that Jesus actually frees us to live the life that God intended for us to live in the very beginning. And he does this by his ransom payment on the cross. So this language of redemption, one of the reasons why we named our church Redemption Hill is because Christ accomplished our redemption through his death, and now his work sets us free to experience all that God wants for us. Number three, Jesus received the curse of death so that we might receive the blessing of life. I mean, just go back and read 1 Corinthians 15, this beautiful chapter on the resurrection. And at the very end, what you're going to find, okay, maybe you fear death this morning. Maybe you're a little apprehensive about the end of your life today. Okay, so let me just tell you that in Christ, by faith, those who have trusted and received this blessing of life can actually taunt death. You know what I'm saying? Where death is your victory, where death is your sting. We have the victory, we have life in Christ. So just just go read the Gospel of John, okay? The Gospel of John, the simple framework is believe and live. There are seven I am statements in the Gospel of John that say 
statements like these, I am the bread of life. If you want a life, then partake of me, accept me, receive me. I will give you life. John 6, 35. I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6. I am the resurrection and the life. John eleven twenty-five. 25. The thief comes to still kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. So God wants to give you life today. Abundant life now, eternal life with him forever. Number four, Jesus received, I love this, this one's so good. Jesus received the curse of our isolation that we might receive the blessing of relationship. We read from Mark 15 where Jesus shouts, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So Jesus is isolated because this this weight of sin, he's bearing our sin, he's bearing our judgment, and the Father turns his face away from Christ. And so on the cross, Jesus was isolated from the love of the Father, from the blessing of of the Father. Never was never was isolated from his love. God's love is unending. All right, let me correct myself here. But he was isolated from the favor of God, from his relationship, so that then we might be brought in. So the cross, when the veil was torn into the most holy places, it was a sign saying, Come on in, receive the life that I want to give you. Receive the relationship that you have always longed for to be made right with me. Relationships are built on love or they are built on nothing. Think about this, with your friends, in your your marriages, whatever the case may be, a relationship is built on love or is built on nothing. And so in the cross of Christ, we have the greatest picture of love, that God opens his arms to us, and he says, receive the gift of my love. Come to me with your wearisome burdens, and I will give you rest. Come to me with all of your your ugliness, and I will give you my beauty. Come to me with your brokenness, and I will give you healing. And we just see it come again and again and again. All of the blessings that are now ours because we have this relationship with God restored through the work of Christ. But what is the the greatest blessing in all of these blessings? All of these gracious gifts from God, the, the greatest blessing of all is that God gives us the gift of himself. So think, consider this last, uh, this last blessing. Jesus received the curse of our sin so that we might receive the blessing of his spirit. To be cursed is to be devoid of the spirit of God, but to be blessed is to receive the spirit. So, so it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a coordinate uh, relationship. The blessing of Abraham is, is the coming of the, of the Spirit, that now the Spirit dwells in us who have faith in Christ, and, and, and God has, has made us one with him. 
So I, I love how the, the covenant language throughout the Old Testament, God is saying, I will be their God, they will be my people, and I will dwell with them. This is the language of the covenant. It's about relationship. It's about the presence of God. So all of God's blessings to us, forgiveness and justification and, and life, all of these are nothing if we do not have God himself. So the greatest gift that we can ever receive is the gift of the Spirit and the gift of God himself. And he gives us this when we look to Christ and Christ is our substitute to bring us blessing. So can I just ask you this morning in a very practical way, is this, is this news enough for you? Like, is, is God enough for you? If you take all the other blessings away, just to know God and have a relationship with God and to dwell in the presence of God, is this the definition of heaven to you, an eternal life to you, an abundant life to you? Like right now, even if you are going through a time of suffering or a time of great rejoicing, Christ is enough. This is the message of Galatians, the power and the sufficiency of the gospel. So the blessings of God come through the redemption that Christ has worked for us. We receive justification, freedom, life, a relationship with God, and the Spirit. So today, would you receive the blessing of God through the curse-destroying death of Christ? This is made available to every single one of us, like every single day, just to look to Christ and to receive this undying blessing that he wishes to give you. So I want you to consider this. I want you to kind of look in the mirror of your life just for a moment. And, and, and just according to what the Bible says about life and, and in how God has designed our world, the Bible says that we are on one of two paths. We are either going to live our life for God and we are going to place our faith in him and experience all the blessings that come along with knowing Christ and living for Christ or we will experience the curse and judgment. And so one of my prayers for my life personally and for our church and for you individually, we pray for you guys individually all the time, is that the, the blessing of God would mark your life. That wherever you go and whatever you do, whether it's in your nine to five or you, you move across the country or the world, that just wherever it is that God takes you, a trail of blessing would be left behind because the favor of God and the love of God and the life of God marks your life life. Deuteronomy chapter 30 verses 19 and 20 say this, and I want just to, to use these words as an invitation to us today to respond to Christ and what he has done for us. God says this, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse, Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days. Christ has made a way for us. He 
redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us that we might see that life is found in him and choose the life that he died to bring. I pray that you will choose life. Let's pray together. God, thank you for our time and your word this morning. And Father, we ask that you would give us a very clear vision, not only of you, but also of ourselves. For God, I'm sure that there are some here this morning that have relied on works of the law. They think that that will be the answer one day when they meet you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would show them the, the gift, the blessing that is found in Christ and in Christ alone. And Father, for, for all of us, for those of us who have, have taken this step of faith, casting all of who we are upon all of who Christ is, Lord, I pray that we would live in the reality of the blessings that Jesus died to bring us. Lord, we want to be a blessed church. We want the people to, to look at Redemption Hill Church and see that, that these people have been changed and they live in such freedom and peace and joy and life. So God, I pray that we would just marinate in these truths, that we would let them soak deep into our hearts so that ultimately our lives might be a blessing to you. We pray these things through Christ. Amen.